Drumming. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, featuring conversations with ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, welcome to Working Drummer Podcast. I'm Zach Albetta, and this week I'm talking with Blair Sinta. Blair has been an L.A. staple for over two decades, having recorded and or toured with Alanis Morissette, Chris Cornell, Gwen Stefani, Brandy Carlisle, Melissa Etheridge, and many others. Blair has a couple of new calling cards. One of them is his podcast, Recording Drums. He's getting ready to get season two of that going. And the other is his trio of online courses, Introduction to Recording, The Snare Sound Bible, and Improve Your Groove. For the month of March, Blair is offering a 15% discount on those courses to DrumClick listeners. Check them out at BlairSinta.com and use the promo code BFSDSDB at checkout. We would appreciate your support on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash working drummer and a donation in any amount gets you access to exclusive content from our former guests. Think of this as professional development for drummers, all useful and actionable lessons for the working pro. We're populating new content regularly, and as little as $1 a month gets you access to all of it. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can also make a one-time donation through PayPal. There are links for both on our homepage at workingdrummer.net. While you're there, you can learn more about this episode and check out our archive of over 300 episodes. Also, please subscribe to Working Drummer Podcast on your platform of choice. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Lastly, however you listen, please leave us a rating and review. This helps new listeners find us. Our latest Patreon content features Ash Sohn. Also, great stuff there from Doan Perry, Joe Bergamini, Stephen Chopek, and Chuck Palmer. Talking about specific songs they've tracked drums for and all the technical and creative aspects of those recording processes. You can get access to this and the rest of our Patreon content for as little as $1 a month, so check that out. We'd really appreciate your support. Once again, that's patreon.com slash working drummer. So Blair has made a name for himself as quite a chameleon, not just in terms of genre, but in terms of the range of music making he's comfortable with. If he's playing out, sometimes it's on a major tour with a pop act, and sometimes it's just at a local LA spot. When he's recording, sometimes it's at his own studio, sometimes it's one of those iconic LA rooms. And as you can see and hear on his social media, he's able to execute and capture almost any aesthetic when it comes to recording drums. He's had all those cylinders firing hard for quite a while now, so it was great to unpack some of it with him. So let's get to it with Blair Sinta. You recently finished up uh, like season one of, of your Recording Drums podcast. Um, and anytime I, I talk to someone who also does a podcast, I'm curious uh, about any any sort of like uh, themes or thoughts or, um, you know, anything that kind of ran through most or all of the interviews you did as far as first principles or philosophies or just stuff that kept coming up in, uh, in a lot of those interviews. Did you, did you experience that at all? Sure. 
maybe two themes. Uh, one, that the business we're in, music business, is tough. You know? <laughs> sure. Not that that's any regulation, but, you know, um, as drummers, you know, it's hard enough to be a professional drummer, you know? Right. Even with... Even if you're really good at it, like, you know, guys we know are really good at what they do, right? There's right. great drummers out there. Um, it's tough to make a living doing this, you know, um, especially with the cost of living, inflation, blah, 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 music business, streaming, like good on the list. But then, you know, one of the things I find fascinating, and I really love recording drums, which is why I've kind of gone down this rabbit hole of creating a podcast and like most of my work is that but it's also insane because like i've been trying to work on a totally different skill set basically which is a separate profession you know audio engineer is a separate profession right doing that more or less on my own you know like asking questions of course but like diving into that you know uh it's like learning another instrument right yeah so recording drums as a, as a as an instrument is tough, you know, because we're dealing with so many microphones and fade production choices. Not to mention playing drums. Yeah, not to mention just like you know the 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 playing side and the tuning side and the tone side and you know it's it's kind of insane, you know. So we're we're doing two. Well, we're doing three jobs. We're running a studio, um, trying to keep audio gear going drumming and we're engineering so it's three jobs in one you know so right and in addition to like you know starting a new profession sort of as an engineer um when i started doing this a couple years ago i felt like i was back to square one at my old profession like i thought i knew how to play drums i or you know i thought i knew how to tune drums i thought i knew how to uh you know blend the sound of my kit um as i play uh, and when you, when you get under the mics, you know, especially in a small room with most of us, which most of us are, um, you know, it tends to just be a magnifying glass on, on, you know, any gap in your knowledge or any sort of deficiency <laughs> in your skills. Yeah. And it's, it's a great study. It makes you a better player, like 100%, you know? Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's tough, man. It's, it's, it's tough. <laughs> At the same time, I love it because there's a whole side of creativity that comes from recording that, you know, a, a lot of my motivation kind of early on to go down this rabbit hole was I was, when I'd be on tour or something, I'd always be jealous of jealous of guitar players and keyboard players that had pedals and things that could change their sound, you know, with literally the push of a pedal. And, like... That just started to like really sink into my brain that like, man, I want to be able to manipulate myself sonically also. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't necessarily, I mean, I do use a pedal board sometimes here and there, but it, but it really meant like in the studio, like I want to be able to like pull out anything I can to change the vibe of the tune or something like that, you know? Right, right. That's a whole other learning curve. Yeah, it's just, you know, but it was really about envy. <laughs> <laughs> like, like that's amazing that, you know, you can go 
into this crazy ambient space to like a distorted space to a, a dry, clean thing. You know what I mean? Like, right. And how I think about you know using drums in the studio. Yeah, and that that envy uh, has has carried over into people's um, you know home studio setup because you know a guitarist, for example, does not have to worry hardly at all about mic placement or room tuning. <laughs> Right, they can just plug something in and go uh, much easier than 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 we can. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, obviously, miking a, a guitar amp, you know, you know, you could, you know, maybe maybe three mics, right. maybe <laughs> probably two, and then of course you want to put it in the right spot of the speaker cabinet where it's going to get picked up, but and then check your phase with two mics, right? You know, right. <laughs> <laughs> or use a really great IR these days. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. Just you know, if I need to record guitar, that's what I do now cuz things sound great, you know. So yeah. I figure if if they can use Logic Drummer, I will use IRs. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. Tit for tat. Um another thing that, that you mentioned that that I also kind of read in um, you know, your your bio or kind of your description of of the things you cover as an educator is the business of running a studio. Um, and, you know, m- most of us uh, have at least some experience of like running the business of ourselves as drummer for hire. Um, but I think there's there's a new set of sort of financial and logistical um challenges to to run a a studio business um what were the what were some of the things that uh that you ran up against in in your early days doing that or some lessons you learned the hard way as far as the the non-musical essentials of running a studio well i i i I wouldn't say necessarily on early on i think it continued Um, (laughs) yeah uh, well one we were just talking kind of you know i don't maybe it'll be in 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 the this, but we're talking about a whole gear issue, you know, chasing down gear issues, right? Uh, you know, upkeeping your gear, the cost of that, um, or or if something starts to go haywire, just chasing that down, you know, like what's is it a cable? Is it a mic? Is it a mic pre? Is it is it the converter? Uh, do you just need to restart the computer? You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> just the technical side of it, and then um. What was the other thing I was about to say? Um, I I totally lost it. Uh, the kind of the financial side of it, or oh yeah, I mean just dealing with budgets. Yeah, you know people and you know what you're willing to do as far as doing work for people and what the rate is, you know, and what's you know time versus money, uh, quality of projects, you know. Hey, you know, the whole, like, hey, man, are you home? Uh, <laughs> you do something for me, like, right now? Right, you know? right. That never ends, you know? Wow, yeah. The negotiating process of, like, you know, what is my time worth versus the, the, the thing that I'm being, the job I'm being asked to do. Right, right. There's that There's that meme going around of, uh, like, two two cowboys in a, in a standoff, and one of them says, what's your rate? And the other one says, what's your budget? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen that. You haven't seen that? <laughs> I mean, I kind of wish people would come, come like, like, tell me, like, hey, 
I, I got I have this much money. Yeah. You know, like instead of putting putting the onus on me, you know, I'll tell you my rate, but don't but don't then say, Oh man, sorry, too much. Bye. Right. Right. Especially in email. I I I, I feel like I communicate more now through text, which is good, but definitely I don't know. I feel like five or six years ago, sometimes I'd get an email that where people would ask my rate, tell them my rate, and I would also say like, "Hey, but you know, let me know." But then I would never hear back from them. Wow. Which I always thought. I just think that's kind of lame. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Um, And maybe in that case, uh, somebody like doesn't actually have any money to spend. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they they were they were feeling you out to see if they could get a freebie or or you know get some work done for very very little money and when you come at them with your actual rate they're like oh there's no chance and they feel sheepish which they should <laughs> i mean yeah i mean you know I, and and just to be just to be fair i've had it go both ways where people yeah say what well, i can definitely afford more than that and i will pay you more which is rare but it happens mm mm-hmm. mhm and there's the thing where, you know, people are like, well, I got X amount. Will you do it for this? And I and I kind of go, well, what's the track like? What's, you know, what's, you know, how deep am I going on this track? How long is it going to take me? And that, that kind of helps me answer the question of whether it's worth my time. Right, right. And, you know, how, how fast do you need it? Like if, if, uh, um, if you're not paying my full rate, but I can do this kind of whenever I have time, then sure, I'll take it on. Um, so like, I mean, it's fair to say that you, you kind of, uh, made a name for yourself, uh, touring and playing live before making a name for yourself as, as a studio drummer. Um, and you know, it's something I'm in the process of doing as well. And one of the challenges I'm having is, um, sort of finding a way to like capture the, the loose, spontaneous energy and magic when I'm sitting alone at home in my room. And, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not the first to struggle with this. I think the, the difference between playing live and playing in the studio, um, goes along these lines kind of with, with every musician. Um, but especially just this remote thing, like on the one hand, it's so cool cause we can just be home and record ourselves. But on the other hand, we are all alone trying to, uh, rub two sticks together and create like a little bit of a fire. Um, so what, what's your approach to finding just that, that sort of, uh, live juice? Do you always need that live juice to go on a record? Like what's your approach to that? That's a good question. Um, I think different, well, different types of music, have different energy that's required. Sure. Rock track, I think, kind of almost requires that type of energy to come through the microphones. Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to something that, you know, maybe more programmed sounding or, um, or just, you know, supposed to be like spot on perfect, like gridded. Uh, where it's not really about a a uh, performance, it's more about sounds and a part. Yeah, 
static dynamically. That's a great way of putting it, actually, because you're you're absolutely right. There there are some tracks that like require a performance, and others that require like sounds and parts. Um, yeah. It's an interesting distinction, and one that I'm going to start thinking about a lot. <laughs> I think that's that's very cool. I mean, I, I you know I like. I mean, I mean, first and foremost, I'm a I'm a I'm a drummer that loves to play music with other people. Yeah. You know, this the studio I feel like is just a is like a a space that I love to also create in, but it but nine times out of ten it's like it's really like I wanna play music with people. So if I have an opportunity to bring someone over here, like I have three tracks to do today after we get off this, but it's not but it's like that nobody you know, nobody's gonna come over and track bass with me on it. It's just not in the cards. But sometimes, you know, if if it's just a singer-songwriter with an acoustic guitar, it's like if I can get if they're going to put bass on it anyway, if and I can get somebody over here to like track with me, that's at least some different energy and someone to feed ideas off of uh which which I always strive for, you know. Um You know, but the other thing is I just try to try to like if it's something that requires a performance, I just try to know the song. Yeah, I'm not afraid to play the song five or ten times to really feel like I know it. Right, right. You know, because for me, like the first two takes sound like you know one or two takes. <laughs> yeah. You know, and and like I just know it's going to be better when I when I I know I know I can hear the next section in my head coming up and therefore the fill is informs the section as opposed to me just playing whatever the fuck fill right you know what i mean right like, no right fill to bring in the next section yep yeah that's it that's another great point because like whether whether it's in the studio or live you know we all feel our best we all feel the most comfortable when we really fucking know the music right when we have everything memorized and it's just not an issue um and you know reading is important and and playing sort of spontaneously in the moment reacting that's important but um you know i i wish my process for learning and memorizing songs was you know different or or faster and i'm you know i'm sure it's something i can work on but just like you said reps like playing through something five or ten times um you know, for, for me, there's, there's really not much of a substitute for just listening, playing, listening, playing over and over until you just fucking know the song. Yeah. Yeah. And some songs obviously are easier than others. They're Mm -hmm. really straight. Maybe after the third take, like it's so straight ahead, you kind of, you're in it, you know? Yeah. Other times it it takes, you know, rehearsing. Right. Right. And I mean, it goes, it goes back to my original question about kind of how do you capture um, you know, uh, kind of, kind of a vital performance or some vital sounds. Um, and yeah, it just knowing the song, I think is, right. is, is key to that. Um, I mean, about being on tour, you know, if, when you're in week four of tour and, and the band has been playing those songs, you pl- you don't, you're not thinking. And, you know, the way I play is, like, I don't play the same fills every night, you know, like, maybe maybe certain sections, it's like, oh, there's that, you know, there's a signature fill or something like that. But for me, it's really spontaneous, and it's kind of like, 
uh, it's just in the moment, you know. Right. And but you're just not thinking. You're just you're just playing and like you know. I try to get to clo- as close to that as I can. was the turning point for you when you said i need to create a drum recording course um was that like a gap you saw in the market or the the change that you wanted to see in uh <laughs> what you were seeing on instagram like people need help uh, <laughs> um uh, it the pandemic and i started to, well i'd already been doing a patreon about it for a couple years you know which was kind of like uh, you know you know, people come and go from it. So, but it was, you know, fairly small. Um, but as soon as, you know, in April of 2020, I was getting a lot of phone calls all of a sudden. Hey, man, can I ask you some questions? <laughs> <laughs> um, so what I decided to do is take some of those videos that I'd done from Patreon and just put them into a, like a course mm-hmm. and sell it. Um, and... It's it just kind of turned into an interesting thing where I was like, oh well, I could do this with more ideas. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I mean, the, people come to me for certain things. People don't come to me for licks and chops. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So I'm like, I'm gonna talk about what I'm good at. So I put I, I made one called Improve Your Groove, which is like stuff that I feel like I worked on, you know, over years to like have a good feel, like things I listen to, like how I exercises I use, things like that. Um, and then I did one that I called the, the snare sound Bible because getting a great snare sound is, 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 is like I, sometimes I give people, um, lessons and they have a really beautiful snare drum and it sounds pretty good, but then we make some changes and all of a sudden they're like, Oh, that's what I've, that's how it's, that's how I wanted it to sound. Right. You know? And then, you know, obviously, you know, in the studio environment, people are like, oh, I want a low fat snare. Or I want a high ringy snare. Or I want a blah, blah, blah. So like, okay, how do we, you know, how do we do that? Right, you know? right. And I think, uh, you know, the the sounds like a drum guys have, have obviously gone deep on, on a lot of this stuff. But um, I think what, what you're contributing to is, is uh, getting away from um, – the the sort of idolatry of this model snare drum or that model snare drum or whatever and and like figuring out uh how to get all these different sounds you're talking about out of one drum and you know the drum you have is not going to sound exactly like a black beauty but let's talk about how to tune it and how to mic it so that you can get that that sound yeah i mean if you have a good drum whatever it is you can do I guarantee that you can get almost any sound you want out of it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, you know, I mean, when you really think about, like, if you have one drum kit and you know how to do those things to one drum kit, you know, you may only need one drum kit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I, I go to gear, so it's like, uh, you know, it's, 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 uh, you know, 
I don't want to say it's hypocritical, but like I do use a lot of gear, but you know, if I got stuck with one drum kit, I, I could survive for sure. Yep. And do almost anything I wanted, you know, with that. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Because you have to manipulate constantly, but yeah. Right, and I mean, but I think it's a it's it's a great way to to learn all the different things that your drums can do, and all the different things that a couple of mics can do. Um, and uh, I remember, I I think uh, Dan Bailey was answering questions on IG and somebody was asking him about all these different drums. And he was like, I, I can get pretty much anything I need to do. I, I can get it done with this cannabis drum set. Um, yeah. and yeah. yeah, he just kind of leaves that sitting there. Um, yeah. between having, having like a small variety of drums and a small variety of microphones, there's, there's really nothing you shouldn't be able to do if you understand the principles involved in those things. Right. You, know, you hear almost any drum sound on the radio, you should be able to do that. Yeah. I think with about, you know, six microphones. Yeah, you can get close anyway. You can get pretty damn close. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't, even in a bedroom. Right, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so this, is like, you know, we're, we're talking about... Um, you know, being, being able to do almost anything with a, a small amount of stuff. Um, but whether it's your, your drums or your mic collection or the space you're in, you know, all, all those things I think do put some limitations. And I mean, the main limitation is like your skill set, right? Like your chops right. <laughs> as far as working right. all these things. Um, Not possible chops. <laughs> like talking like, sorry, say that again. Yeah, I, I was just, I was just not, not, not technical drumming chops. Right, your your knowledge of how all this shit works, um, and something that occurred to me recently was, you know, I there's there's I I have this Venn diagram uh, in my head of I think it's like four circles, and one of them is like the kind of drumming I want to do, and another one is, um, you know, the the skill set I have with my gear and another one is the space I'm in. Um, and the fourth one is, uh, I guess one is the mics and one is the drums, whatever. Right. And, and they meet in the middle to, to, uh, determine like what I should spend my time pursuing in here. Like, what is it that all of these things add up to being good at? Right. Um, did you have to narrow that down for yourself? Uh, are you in the process of narrowing that down or are you in the process of expanding that? Well, I'm always trying to get better, you know, like always I'm, you know, definitely as a drummer, I'm always trying to get better. Um, and what, what I mean by that is like, is everything just whether it's consistency or sound or chops or time or feel like just you know, I hope I hope I keep improving as a drummer until that's like physically impossible for me. Right. You know? um, and then of course you know, I mean again this 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 the studio uh, creativity and knowledge is is totally endless too. Yeah. Because you pick up a record and you're like, oh wow, check out that cool sound. What's happening there? You know whether it's acoustic drums um, or something that's programmed that just sounds cool and you're like, well, can I do that, you know, in my space? Can I figure out how to, you know, 
chase those sounds and do my own version of them. Um, so, I mean, that's so, th- so, but you know, as far as like, I mean, you know, I kind of realized in college that I wasn't the next Vinnie Kaliuta, you know? Sure. And, and trust me, I was, I was trying that for a while. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we all were, man. And we all had that realization. <laughs> well, at a certain point, you're like, oh, wow, that's, that's okay. That's not me, you know? <laughs> right. I guess what I'm asking is like, did you have that same experience or that same revelation as far as what you do in the studio, as far as the sounds that you're good at, as far as what you want to go after? And you mentioned like always getting better and hearing a new record and saying, wow, I should go after that, which sounds to me more like a kind of, you know, expansionist, you know, branching out and spreading your skill set and learning all these new sounds rather than sort of like really focusing and distilling on a more specific uh, set okay. of set of goals. Yeah, no, that no. I I I kind of feel like. I mean, this will probably sound pretty arrogant, but I pretty I feel like I can get any drum sound that comes across my plate. Right, right. And if I I'm gonna I <laughs> if I can't, then I know that I will drive myself crazy trying to get it. You know? <laughs> right. My favorite projects are have been, you know, where people send me pretty specific drum sounds and they're like, Hey, can you get this? Like, like we, we program this and we use, you know, we use samples, blah, 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 but we want a real drummer to do it, but we want it to basically sound like this. I, I love that challenge. Mm. You, know? you know? So yeah, no, that's my whole thing is like, I wouldn't be able to kind of get anything. Right. Right. And I, I mean, I think that's a challenge, uh, you know, best tackled by, by someone at your level with your experience. I think that, you know, that challenge for me right now seems daunting. Like there are some sounds I hear where it's like, yeah, absolutely. I can do that. Um, but there are others that's like, man, I don't, I don't even know where to start <laughs> to go after this. Um, well, I think the process of like, you know, limitations and, I actually think it's a process of limitations because when you understand what you can do inside limitations, then when you have more options, all of a sudden those options are like, oh, I'm pretty close to this with hardly anything. Right. And now all I need to do is add the other thing. Yeah. 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 Um, In addition to your your online course, you do – is it a six week like Zoom course, like a once a week thing? Yeah. So I just started this. I'm halfway through my first one, and I'm 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 actually pretty excited about it. I I feel like it's working well. The, you know, I got about seven seven drummers in there, and it's it's a really good group of people that are super motivated. Um. So yeah, it's it's a six week course, once a week, two hour lesson, once a week. Hmm syllabus of like how to do it like you know step one you know i shouldn't say step one i i feel like they're kind of in order of the most important things to be able to work in your own space which i think is another thing that's cool like you can be in your own space because you know that's what we do now you know nobody's like i work out of sunset sound only you know so (laughs) Um, like, what are your limitations? What, you know, what's your room? What are your drums? What are your microphones? What can you do in this space? 
so yeah, each 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 week is another topic, and there's kind of some homework and it's, it's you know as much as you want to put into it and get out of it. But it's all it's all live Zoom every two every every week, and you can ask questions and you know there's other people in there that have ideas too, which is Right, I was gonna say like this. This sounds like a more interactive kind of two way street uh, where you you come to each week, you know, ready to talk about uh, a, a certain topic or a certain skill set or whatever. But uh, there's there's a lot of back and forth with the members of that class. Yeah, and what I you know what I learned doing um, from Patreon is like I would do a once a month thing with certain certain people, and and the people that were in there. Uh, I mean, there's one guy in particular that I saw like really come a long way, and he does a lot of cool stuff now. But then there were other guys that would come in with maybe a little more knowledge of the microphone or mic prees or things like that, and then I would almost just listen sometimes. Like there was one guy that was like way into finding like weird ribbon mics, <laughs> you know. Like two guys would like talk about it, and I'd be like, "Oh, that's cool. Oh, that's cool." And I just write it down and go research it, and you know. So the interaction of like people's knowledge and skill sets becomes super cool too. Not to mention like, you know, in this class, I have a guy from Finland. I have a guy from London, yeah, from Wisconsin, guy from North Carolina, guy from LA, you know? So it's like, it's pretty cool. You know, that people all around the world are, 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 are this is what, this is the world we live in, you know? Right. Right. And I mean, do you see an upper limit as to like how many people can, uh, practically participate in one of those classes or do you see that going to like you're running multiple classes a week I mean I don't want to jinx myself but I do see scaling <laughs> it you know you do yeah. see what scaling it yeah. yeah 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 I mean I think it's super valuable for like where we're at right now yeah definitely I think so many so many drummers sorry go ahead I, yeah I see the excitement with like the the the, the people that are in there, you know, and, and I just, what I, you know, the, the, the little feedback I've gotten after the three sessions is that it's been super helpful for them so far. So, yeah. Yeah. Do you know when the next one's going to be? I'm probably going to do another one starting in April. And then after that, you know, assuming that one also, you know, moves, you know, forward mm -hmm. <laughs> Again in the fall, you know, I can't. I don't imagine I'll do it over the summer, but yeah, yeah, I, I think you're right, man. People really need um, that kind of personal interaction and and sort of custom tailored uh, info um, yeah. because and it's a, it's a great sort of one two punch with your um, with your online course because I you know I think it's like introduction to recording. It's like here's the basics. Here's how to not completely fuck this up. Here's something to do all the time. Here's something to do never. Um, and, you know, I, I needed that when I started out. I think everybody needs that. But once you get your legs under you in that way, I think having someone um, who really knows their shit um, and can kind of diagnose the things that you personally are dealing with in your space, with your gear, with your goals, all that stuff is is huge. Is It's, you know, huge to... Um, uh, you know, getting into the uh, uh, the echelon of kind of professional sounds. Yeah, I, yeah. Every, like everybody's got their own challenges um, in their space. I mean, just looking at your space, I, that room looks like it sounds good from just literally from this vantage point. Yeah, you know what I mean. But 
it's again, it's not Sunset Sound. It's not Henton. It's like, you know, you have you have that space, right? Yep. Um, there's a guy I talked to in my podcast uh, named Samson Samson Giotto, uh, English cat, and he literally is like in this, you know, six by four spot inside a garage. <laughs> and man, that dude is getting killing sounds. And then one of the things in the podcast was like, well, how's he getting like bigger sounds, you know? Yeah. And he, he was putting a mic inside, uh, like he took one head off a of floor tom when he put the mic inside the floor tom just outside the room. So he's, he's capturing like reverb inside the drum <laughs> because the drum is vibrant. I was like, that's genius. You know? <laughs> right? Like, yeah. that's a, he's like, well, how, how am I going to do this? You know? So yeah. I, mean, I would have thought of that, you know? It reminds actually, me. Keep meaning to try it, and I haven't tried it yet. But, it it yeah. reminds me of a trick uh, Jake Reed sort of like pointed out just offhandedly in in one of his YouTube videos, where he has like a little a little wooden cymbal cubby like against a wall in his studio, and he was like, "Here's where I keep all my cymbals. I throw a mic in there and do reverb on it sometimes. It's a great room sound." And I was like, "Jesus, I I should because I have like a similar little cubby, and I tried it, yeah. and it it did not go well. I'm sure like Jake really is good at it, and I <laughs> I'm sure I didn't do it right. <laughs> well, I think like anything, like well, there's an idea, and you can, you know, you tried it, but maybe 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 it sounds like crap, and it's not going to work. But right? Maybe chase it a little more. But everybody has a has a room challenge. Like, you know, I'm I'm not afraid of a small drum room anymore. Mm-hmm. I feel like somebody could put me in a shoebox and I could get pretty red, massive sounds in there if 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 I needed to. Um, but man, it's you know I've been working at this for like a long time, and yeah. it's taken me long to, to really have that kind of confidence <laughs> yes yeah absolutely um eventually start to learn and, it, and, it, and it's it's not like somebody told me it's just like one day i went oh oh that's the key right now i get it like, you know <laughs> yeah just you keep tweaking and eventually like you know it, it drills into your brain you recently put up um, sort of a, a, a collection of little segments from, you know, all or most of the interviews that you had done um, in, in season one of your podcast. And um, I, I had checked out some of those ep- episodes and, and that sort of clip reel made me want to watch or listen to more of them. Um, but something that a few of those people mentioned was um, the idea of uh, listening with your eyes which is usually a bad thing, it sounds like. Um, and, but also, uh, like, mixing for the phone. Like, how is this shit going to sound on the phone? And it's something I've been thinking about a lot lately. I don't know whether or not mixing for the phone is something I want to pursue or, you know. But it, it feels like, to me, if, if a mix is sound, right, if it's if, – if it's, uh, technological or, or, you know, in terms of its technique, if it is a good mix, then it is going to sound good on the phone. If there are flaws in the mix, the phone is going to hang a lantern on those flaws. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Just, you know, cause you're, you're all over social media is, is people listening to your stuff on their phone a factor when you're mixing this? Um, and, and also talk a little bit about the whole listening with your eyes thing. All right. I'll start with that. Because it, 
they're kind of two different things. Yeah, right? yeah. So I kind of, um, you know, had that revelation at a certain point, the listening with your eyes thing, you know, like kicking myself, like, for years about, like, playing on the grid and just trying to be perfect and then realizing that I'm a human being and, like, there's going to be inconsistencies. That's just, you know, you know, human being. Right. But there were many times where I was totally bummed out because I would zoom into Pro Tools and and study the grid and study where I'm landing. And, we're, you know, we're looking at, like, millisecond differences. And after a while, I was like, wait a minute. Like, my favorite recordings... If you if you were to look at those, like look at them on a grid, like they're all over the place. Like, yeah. Who, you know, if you listen to Love and Cup, the Stones tune, Charlie Watts, <laughs> it's a mess. <laughs> Man, I got to tell you, that is one of the most grooving, badass tracks. It's just one of my favorite. I just love that song. You yeah. know, obviously. You know, that's not going to be acceptable to send out, of you know, to somebody's somebody else's track. But, you know, the point is that the, the grid is not, you know, the defining factor in what feels good. Right. Or is emotionally feeling good, you know. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I have a whole spiel about this. I'm going to I'm going to save it, but I could go on for this for like a minutes. You know. Um I mean, another another and and also, you know, you know, uh I talked to Kerpescara on the podcast one time and, you know, he he he, you know, he made the same point. It's like you know, because he was recording a lot in the 90s, he was recording on tape way before Pro Tools in the studio, and he goes, "Yeah, at some point Everybody started staring at the screen <laughs> when they were in, in, in like real sessions. It's like, you know, that's not where the music, the music is like, no one stares at anything when they're listening to music, you know? Yeah. They don't stare at the music. Let's just put it that way. Right, right, right. right. So anyway, point made. Um, as far as the phone thing, I don't, I don't like obsess over it. Um, but again, like I, I have noticed, and I, I really don't listen to music on my phone unless I have headphones, right? I don't, I don't just turn my phone on and play music, but I do notice if you hear something through a phone and you notice that the mix is really good, you're like, oh, I actually hear the bass line. Oh, I hear some character in the drums, the kick drum things like that. Yeah. So there's enough tonality in the right ranges where the mix actually sounds good coming through the phone. You know, uh, and if you have a set of like NS10s in here and you turn, you don't have a sub, it's like, well, does the drum mix sound pretty good? Okay, that's not dissimilar to a, to a phone. How you so? Know? Well, like NS10s don't have low end. Right, okay, yeah mid-rangey they're you know ns10s are pretty crappy sounding you know so if it sounds pretty good coming through some ns10s it's probably going to sound pretty good coming out of a phone so you know when i'm building my sounds and everything i i monitor through my ns10s and i switch between you know some speakers but that's one place where i'm building 
I'm building my sounds and it's not necessarily for the phone, but I do know that it will sound good phone. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. It's yeah, something I'm I'm struggling with a lot because I'll get something sounding really good in the headphones and then, you know, I'll bounce an MP three just to listen to it on the phone and like hi hats are just jumping out of the phone and the kick drum has disappeared and it's like, okay, I got more work to do here. <laughs> Something is kick drum heavy or sub heavy. It's not going to come through. Yeah, you know, and and some the the other thing is that some are not going to sound good in a phone because that's not where the tones are supposed to be. So, you know, like if you have something with like eight oh eights and stuff, uh, you know, in my opinion, again, if I guess if it sounds good through a phone, then you've done a great job, but. It's those subby things that are like rattling your 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 chest. It's just not going to be there. So, and that may be the essence of the whole sound. The other thing I wanted to ask you about was just your your stint uh, back in the day with Alanis Morissette. Um, you you most of the things I want to ask you about are having to do with things that you know you posted recently on IG. And uh, recently you posted a clip from from tour with with Alanis. I don't know what year it was exactly, but um, I think you, you said like this back back in the day when I used to play really freaking hard or something like that. Um, but it just got me thinking about Alanis because you know, her performance on that video that you posted, you know, it was a big live concert. And it reminded me that like, holy shit, Alanis was like, and is really a thing. Um, I think when, when people think of her, um, you know, they, they hold like a Polaroid of, of Jim Brewer doing an impression of her on Saturday night live. And they're just like, oh yeah, that's what Alanis is. Um, but it reminded me like how kind of unfair that impression is like most impressions are. Um, but God, like just what a force of nature as a songwriter, a vocalist, a stage presence. Um, what was your experience playing in, in her band? How did that sort of, uh, influence you as a, as a drummer and as a band member? Well, I mean, first of all, I think of her as like, you know, when Jagged Little Pill came out, I was finishing college. Right. Mm -hmm. So when, when that in 95, she was the biggest thing in the world, like hands down, like, and, and I remember when she played at the Greek, uh, I, I moved to LA in 96 and she played at the Greek theater and I didn't go, but a friend of mine went and it was like every celebrity on the planet was at that gig. He was like, Oh, you know, my friend that was like, Oh, it was crazy. Like, you know, this supermodel and that actor and you know, that other musician and you know what I mean? Like people, people not only wanted to see her, but wanted to be seen there, right? So, yep. My, my the image of Alanis in my head pre that gig was, um, I mean, she was, you know, like at that time was an insane superstar. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. So that's that's how I think of her. So for me, when I got that gig, that was just like. Uh, it was like, wow, <laughs> you know, it was like, wow, really? Okay. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, 
Really? Me? Seriously? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was. You know, and like that was after Taylor and then and it was after Gary Novak and I was the third person. Man. You know, Jimmy Paxton, Jimmy Paxton played some gigs with her too. Um, but I was the third person to like officially, you know, you know, like audition and get the gig. Um, so for me, like the, um, I felt like there was a role that needed to be played, uh, as, as her drummer. And I think Taylor set the stage for that. And it was somebody that hits hard and brings a lot of energy. And frankly, I didn't really play much like that before I played with her. But there was a conscious decision that this is this is what needs to happen to get that gig. Hmm, yeah, make that gig work, um, and that's ex- so that's exactly what I did. You know, and those trust me, man. Those first month or two playing that gig and and playing that hard was a challenge because I really had to build into it. But I also know that like when I came back to town and did some other gigs after playing with her, even for just a few weeks, I literally had somebody to like turn around to me a bass player and turn around to me and say like whoa dude you're like a different drummer now you know mm-hmm. so just the sound production um just really changed you know and i think i've i think i've kept that to this day where i can play not not necessarily uh dy- like that loud but like i understand like i it's just in me now like i get like that that's what comes out of me now i i know exactly what you mean how like when when you're playing real loud um like i'm doing a church gig right now where they prefer you to beat the ever-loving shit out of the drums and and when you find that volume when you find that muscle there's like there's an authority that comes with it right mm-hmm. once you find that authority uh you can you can kind of like keep the authority even you know and and lower the volume even at your lower volume stuff um when just that hard hitting isn't required and isn't wanted you you it's it's a weird um kind of phenomenon but like you said you just kind of have this thing now in your body and even if you're not playing loud it just it it feels and sounds like you fucking mean it that's exactly it yeah and, and I always I find that also again given lessons sometimes the first thing I do when somebody is over here is just play something simple just play me a groove I just want to hear where they're putting the emphasis where their what their sound production is like what their sound quality is like and and what a what a groove feels like when I stand out in front of them and I I think there's a real difference of people that have spent time. It's hard to say on the road because that's – I don't know if that's really fair. But doing something really consistently, um, playing the same music like over and over uh, and just – you know, I, and, and again, it shouldn't be about – it's not a volume thing. It's a consistency thing and it's a, it's a confidence thing like you were saying and it's an authority thing. Yeah. In addition to the, um, you know, just the <laughs> the volume and the heavy hitting requirements of that gig, um, was was there anything that uh, Alanis sort of like needed from the drum chair that that you had to deliver that that um, you know challenged you or expanded you in any way? 
Well, she would never say anything. First off, she just she really wanted you to be you. Mm. Like one of the coolest things, you know, the band was hired to bring their strengths and and bring that to her music. And she I I know that she's like that to this day. There's no MD telling saying like, you know, play like this, you know, blah blah blah. Um so I mean, it's hard. I it, I can't. I don't really know, but like, I you know, I wouldn't want to speak for her, but I just think that like, when I came in and auditioned, there was something like I was number like fifteen or twenty. You know, I know for a fact. I think I was like the second to last person to come in. Mm. Um, but I think there was just something about like an energy or just like a. I mean, man, I wanted that gig really bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when I was in the room, I came in with like, you know, I was like, yeah, I just think that there was, I think maybe it's an energy thing. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, not to say that other people didn't want it either. I don't, it's, it's so weird to say. I don't know. You know what I mean? Well, I yeah, just, uh, let me, let me unpack that a little bit because like, you know, obviously there are certain gigs you look at, um, and, and there's sort of the scale of it, the money, the notoriety, the whatever, and that's all enviable. Um, and, and I'm, I'm sure that factored into why, as you said, like you really wanted that gig. Um, yeah. but what, like, what are, what are some of the other reasons that you, you really wanted that gig? I think you just named it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. Well, and the song, I mean, you know, and the what? Like the songs. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's a, a huge factor for me is whether I know these people or not. You know, does this music connect with me? Do I have this music in me? Um, and if I don't, you know, if I don't feel a connection to the music, it's hard to get myself up for the opportunity. If that makes sense. We all play gigs. We all play music that we're not that into. Right. You know, I would say, unfortunately, probably a majority of the time, right? Um, you know, you can find something in music that I'm like, connect with, you know, but, you know, in that particular case, it was all those things that you mentioned. Plus, it was like, wow, and I get to go play these songs? Right. Like, like you know. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, it sounds like you had to, like, for that audition, especially, you had to... Um, kind of uh be in a different wheelhouse than you were used to being in like just like you said with the volume uh just the heavy hitting job um how like how far outside your wheelhouse was that like you you wanted the gig this music speaks to you but was there uh anything in your head that was like i don't i don't know if this kind of drumming is where i live or is it was it the opposite like that's where i want to get to um, I, I, am not sure I really thought about it like that. I mean, I literally had like 24 hours to prepare. <laughs> yeah. Learn these three tunes and be there on Tuesday at three o'clock. Right. Okay, cool. Uh, and I just, I mean, for me, it's like, I remember seeing that MTV performance with Taylor mm -hmm. in 95 and like going like, what? Like, who's that dude? You know what I mean? Right. So for me, that was just like a, like a, a mental image of, oh, okay. Right. That's, 
that's what needs to happen. So that's it, and I just I think that's how I thought about it. Right. It wasn't like I can do this or I don't do this or I can't do this. It was like no, I'm I'm not. You know, I play in clubs in L.A. It's not I don't. You know, I was a, I played a lot of rock music, but like when you play at the Coconut Tea, you can't play like that because the ceiling is eight feet high. Right. You know what I mean? You can hear the band. So uh, it was like okay, this is this is the time to like to do that. Right. Right. In in subsequent auditions or or you know in subsequent musical situations that you found yourself in was um, was there that balance between like okay here's here's what the previous drummer did here's kind of the energy that this band runs on from the drum chair but like here's here's something a little different that I feel like only I could add um, did you ever kind of make that that calculus or strike that balance I guess so I mean it's hard to come into a gig after Gary Novak yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, right. it, it really is. And now I, and trust me, I had people tell me, you know, I had people that were close in that organization tell me that, you know, you're no Gary Novak. <laughs> and like, I'm like, yeah. Yeah. You know, thank, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm well, aware. well aware. Thank you. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Gary's my friend, man. I and that guy's in like, you know, Gary's, you know, my God, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like, yeah. Gary is Gary, right? right? I, Gary played with Chick Corea in like '93. Like it was like, oh my God, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, but I, I think uh, it's hard when you're inside it. Mm-hmm. It's inside it, and it's hard to. You know, I, 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 well, let's just say this. Usually, when I, when there's a gig that um, I'm auditioning for or something, and you listen to previous things, I, I, you know, usually it's like, okay, I'm gonna, I know what I want to bring to this, right? Whether you like what the previous person did or not, maybe there's a lot of great things they did, but you still feel like you can bring something to them. Or, you know, there's been some gigs where I'm like, oh man, I'm. Like I'm gonna like bring a, a whole bunch to that has never been brought to this. Right, and I guess that's the calculus I'm talking about. Like you know, the calculus of of that versus you know, is it going to hurt your chances? Right, I, I'm gonna play this the way I want to play it and give them. I'm not gonna bullshit them about how I'm gonna play this gig. I guarantee there are gigs I have not gotten because I've gone in there and been like, I'm gonna do it like this. Right, I guarantee. Yeah, I had one recently. Not- guarantee it i know it <laughs> it's okay because i felt like well if i'm gonna go play this music this is uh, this is how i think i want to approach it and and it's always musical sure it's just like is it the right thing mm, apparently not okay fine yeah and i think that's a better way to approach it in the long run because if you try to put yourself in whatever box you think they're looking for at the audition you know, whether if you do that successfully, then maybe you get the gig, but now you're in that box, right? And and you have to live in that gig um, and and maybe try to sneak some of your shit in there that you were like, I want to do this with this song. I want to do this with this feel. And, you know, maybe that'll go over. Maybe it won't. But if you just do that from, <laughs> from day one, say, here's how your band's going to sound with me in it and let the chips yeah. fall where they may. That's exactly it. I mean, you know, definitely my, my, 
um, well, two of my longest gigs, which were Alanis and Melissa Etheridge, mm-hmm. I was able to do that. And, and I definitely did that with Melissa. You know, first day of rehearsal, I brought in a few things. And I've told this story before, but, like, she literally turned around. Like, we got to a certain section of the song, first rehearsal, turned around and was like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> and I was like, all right, seal of approval. Right. Cool. I'm, in, I'm in the right band. <laughs> and when I got to play a few gigs with Chris Cornell, it was the same thing. Like, I just, you know, I tried to emulate, you know, as much as I could on those records, but I brought in like, you know, me and, and, you know, Chris was just like totally down. Right. So I think it's, I think there's also like when you're on the, when you're on like the same wavelength, you know, definitely artist of like what, you know, what, what can happen in, in their music. Right. Right. It can, it can kind of like make them uh, see and hear and feel their music in a way that they hadn't quite before. And if that, if that lands well with them, you're in. Yeah. And that's not always easy because people, you know, they, they've played their songs a thousand times. Yep. And, you know, sometimes they hear it and they go, yeah, like, what are you doing? You know? <laughs> right. And many times they're like, oh, cool. Like they're, they're open open to different interpretations. Yeah. You know? Not talking like, you know, hey, I'm going to play this like Latin, you know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not like, did you ever, did you ever do a bossa on you ought to know? <laughs> uh, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, well, cool, man. I'll let you, I'll let you get out of here and get to these uh, three tracks you got to do. Um, really, really appreciate you talking with me, man. It was, it was great to, to meet you digitally. Um, and uh, look forward to hanging in person sometime, hopefully. Yeah, man. Totally. I always feel like that, like, you know, now we know each other a little bit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Cool, man. Thanks a lot for talking. All right, thanks, Zach. There you go. Thanks to Blair Sinta for joining us. Once again, you can get a 15% discount on any and all of his online courses by going to blairsinta.com and using the promo code BFSDSDB. Once again, that promo code is BFSDSDB at BlairSinta.com. Next week, Matt Krause will be talking with drummer and percussionist Clifford Coleman, who has special expertise in the world of West African drumming. Hope you check that out. Until then, stay safe, stay sane, and thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.